Hey, this is Bruce Boudreaux, and you're listening to Empty Betters with Nick Mack and Harrison. But listen, what about um, something like, uh, hey, listen, we're the Empty Betters, and you want to lose your money, you bet on us. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 133 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes. I'm going to toss it across the screen to my co-host, Nick Manella. Long time no see, my friend. How you been? I know, right? It feels like it's been like a month, but it's really only been a week or two off, right? I think maybe two, two and a half since our last recording. Obviously, yeah. got to get a little summer break in there. Detox we'll call it a, a little firm, bit. too. A firm too. I'm yeah. with that. A nice yeah. little summer detox from all the uh, the chaos that is the NHL that we will talk about today. I am going to toss it across the screen to my other co-host up in Wisco, Mac Vogel. What's going on, my man? Not much. Uh, I echo it does feel like it's been a hot minute since we've all been on here. But um, as always, excited to talk hockey. Very excited to talk about all these uh, deals that we've had over the past couple of weeks since we've been on. Um, it was an exciting free agency. You want to announce, I don't know if we've had an episode since about your, uh, your little new position writing for the caps. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I did recently accept a role with, uh, Washington hockey. Now, um, if that sounds familiar to any of you, it's perhaps because you may follow Sammy silver on, um, Twitter. Uh, she's a great writer and that's sort of her, um, uh, that's her site basically that she runs. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be covering the caps this coming year for Washington hockey now. So um, appreciate it in advance for checking out some of those stories that you'll see uh, over the course of the season. Absolutely, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Echo that. Can't wait to hear your expert analysis of their goaltending situation this year. We'll talk about that in a little bit and I'm going to toss it across the screen to our lovely intern Jackson gross. What is going on my man? Uh, then get myself out of trouble. Um, just lots of work going on, writing some, some articles, some baseball articles recently, but been doing that lots of yard work this summer, trying to be outside as much as possible. So it's been a good summer so far. It builds character, right? That's what we're told. Exactly. I read read your, uh, your NFL division preview for, was it the AFC South? I believe. Correct. Yes. Who you got winning that division? Tennessee, everyone else is dog shit and the Colts are mediocre. So I, yeah, I didn't know if you were going to end up going with the Colts. That might be a sore subject for Manella over here, but you know, <laughs> he's pretty honest about his teams. Yeah, that's, it's just been, they've made it so hard to root for them like the last two years because I fucking hate Phillip Rivers. Uh, so, um, but like Matt Ryan, I'll take it. Why not? Yeah. Only four years too late. There you go. <laughs> Well, uh, well, we're not that far from football season, as you all know, but for the moment, we are in the, I guess, back half of NHL free agency, which is what today's episode is all about. However, before we talk about all the free agency news, we are extremely excited to tell you guys that today's interview guest is Washington Capitals legend, all-time great goaltender in the NHL, Ole Kolzig. Uh, we were very fortunate to be joined by Oli for this interview. We can't thank him enough. Um, we know you guys are going to love this one. Some great stories. You know, the late 90s Caps teams, 
We talk about Yager. We've got him with young Ovi and Semin. It's a great one. So we're not going to delay that one. We're going to let you guys listen to that here shortly. But before we do, we just want to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Brackish Life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then Brackish Life is perfect for you. They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay Apparel made by Real Bay people. Head to www.brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh, brackish life. We are going to toss it off to Oli Kolzig right now. All right, and it is now my pleasure to introduce to the Empty Betters podcast, a very special guest, Mr. Oli Kolzig. How you doing? Thanks for being with us. I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for uh, having me. Yep, so... Uh, those who are listening, obviously one of the longest tenured Caps players, um, long, long time goalie for the Caps, started back in 1989 all the way through um, 2008 and then 08-09 brief, briefly with the Tampa Bay Lightning as well. Uh, we'd love to talk about a lot of that, but before we get to some of that, Oli, we'll start this off um, same way we do with all of our guests. If you just kind of want to take us way back and tell us a little bit about how uh, you first fell in love with the game of hockey and how you first started playing. So I, uh, I, I was born in South Africa, um, spent a couple of years there, moved to Europe for a little bit. My dad was in the hotel business uh, and he got, uh, he got transferred to Edmonton when I was about four years old. So we moved to, to Canada. Um, my dad was a big hockey fan growing up uh, in Europe. Um don't necessarily know if he got uh, he watched a lot of the NHL because obviously it was TV wasn't as, as big a deal then as it is now. But um, he decided to get me in the game, introduce me to the game. And um, in Edmonton, when you're starting out as a youngster, uh, you got introduced playing on the outdoor rinks. And if you've ever been to Edmonton in the middle of January, it's not a pleasant, <laughs> pleasant game to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he got me involved. I, I enjoyed it actually quite a bit um, until that first time I went net, ironically. Um, when you're a youngster, they, they rotate you through all the positions. And so it was my turn to play uh, goal. And um, I just remember I was miserable. I was just sitting there freezing. And, and the, this kid had a breakaway on me. And I, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting hit with this puck. So I actually scooted around the net and hid behind the net, 11 score. <laughs> I did not want to get hit with it. So um, like I said, it's ironic that I ended up having a, a, you know, NHL career as a goaltender, but um, <clears throat> well, that was it. I, I mean, I, I moved to Toronto when I was, uh, when I was about six years old um, and I really started playing competitive hockey and um, I became a full-time goaltender. I filled in one day for, for our guy that didn't show up for a game and ended up getting a shutout and enjoyed getting the pats on the back and, and all that. And I thought, well, this isn't too bad. And, and so I decided to, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of, you know, thing that the rest is history. Uh, I moved around still quite a bit. Um, I got um, played in the, uh, in the national championship for midget hockey in the Air Canada Cup. And I was uh, scouted by the new Westminster Bruins, which is now the Tri-City Americans. Um, so I ended up getting listed by them and played a couple of years for them before uh, I was drafted by Washington in 1989. And then um, slowly but surely, 
you know, made my way to become full-time NHL guy. It took me a little while, probably longer than, than most organizations will give prospects, but um, I think it finally paid off and uh, for both the Caps and me. Another question we always like asking guys, um, do you remember your draft day? Do you have like a, a fond memory of that day or is it sort of a, a strange one or, or what are your memories that you recall from that day? No, I remember my draft day. I actually, uh, I was at uh, Caps Development Camp last week and we had uh, the scrimmage, which was held at Capital One Arena. And I did a, I did an in-between period interview with John Wall and, or John Walton and um, they, <laughs> Because we were talking about draft picks and prospects, they actually pulled up a clip of my uh, my the, the moment I got announced, and I really couldn't. You know, it was tough to watch the the hairstyle back then, the the lack of fashion sense. Um, but no, I, I remember everything. Um, I remember interviewing, you know, with the Caps for about two weeks move, uh, leading up to the draft. And I know it was myself and Byron Defoe. We were the two can. I know they were looking for a goaltender, and we were the two candidates. And um, uh, I felt pretty good. I, you know, first round, second round. I didn't. I didn't care. I was just excited to to, to get drafted and, and and you know have a chance at, at playing in the NHL one day. And and so when I did get my name called in the first round, I was just I was ecstatic. Uh, I was so so excited. My parents were there with me and. Um, uh, but I remember going down and doing all the, you know, the handshakes at the table and then going in the back and doing the interviews. And, and I think because there was only 20, 20 plus teams that at that point in the league, the second round had, had, uh, had gone through pretty quick and it was the caps turn to pick again. And I remember I was doing an interview and I heard them select Byron Defoe with their second pick. And, and I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> and, uh, because Byron and Byron and I back then didn't get along at all. We played, you know, we played Portland 16 times that year, and um, we just we just didn't like each other. And um, uh, but once we went to training camp, we got to know each other. We, we obviously became best friends. But at the time, I was like, you know, here I am thinking, okay, I've got a legit shot at, at being the guy, and and now I got to compete with this guy and, and and be in the organization with this guy for you know however many years and. Um, but it was all good. It was still a very, very, uh, very exciting day. Am I correct that you guys had known each other from even, even way before that? Like you had grown up near each other or something like that? Or no, well, we. So I moved. Uh, I moved to British Columbia uh, shortly after that uh, the Year Canada Cup tournament because um, that's where my my dad had ended up working. He was in Victoria, BC, and Byron was from Victoria, and he was playing for the Juan Fuqua Whalers of the uh, BC JHL, and I. I played half a year for the Abbotsford Falcons, and then we both ended up playing in the WHL the same year. Um, and so we we played against each other for a couple of years before we made it to the Western League. And and um, you know, I just thought he was a very arrogant, very smug guy, and uh, and I just I don't like that, and I don't like that in players. And um, but yeah, that was my that was my first taste of Byron was shortly before we we ended up playing in uh, in the Western League. But you guys had a couple other run-ins. I believe I heard that you guys are, it was either you and his wedding or he was best man at your wedding or something along those lines. Uh, it was both. Oh, okay. There uh, you go. First. I was married first. So he was best man at my wedding. And then the following year I was best man at his wedding. Um, we we're both, we we're both godparents to each other's sons. Um, so no, our, our relationship, we went to our first training camp after that draft, we went to, uh, to Sweden and Russia. We were, us and the Calgary Flames, the first two teams 
uh, to be invited over there for camp. And, and Byron and I were the only two rookies that went. And so um, I wouldn't say we were forced to hang out together, but, you know, <laughs> just natural the two young guys. But hanging out with them and then getting to know them and, and, you know, I obviously had a different view on him. I thought he was a great guy. And um, and so we really hit it off and became, became best of friends and had a fantastic, fantastic trip over there. Great training camp. Both of us played well um and yeah and then his i was a year older than him so i started uh my pro career a year before him um so i spent one year in baltimore and then he came into town and we actually both roomed together we both were roommates rented an apartment and um yeah it was just we had a we had a i mean it was it was obviously a big rivalry um two goalies fighting for you know for a job in washington but you know, at the end of the day, we both, we both agreed that, Hey, we just give our best on the ice. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the head coach or management's decision on on who plays. And so we didn't, we didn't hold a grudge or hold against each other. And, um, and I think as a result, we, you know, we continue to this day to be, to be great friends. That's awesome to hear. You, uh, you briefly just touched on uh, playing in Baltimore. I don't think I've ever gotten to ask this, but you know, the skipjacks kind of have this, um aura around them in the baltimore community all three of us kind of grew up in the baltimore hockey program um what was that like because i don't think a lot of people who live in baltimore now even remember like that we had a team i mean my dad was a huge fan so i kind of knew about it but i'm curious what your experience was like as a player i loved it i i i really loved playing in baltimore um you know it obviously back then they, baltimore actually had a lot of history but I still wouldn't consider it a hockey town. Um, just a lot like, uh, you know, like the Caps, you know, Washington wasn't considered a hockey town back then. Um, but the fans that we did have were, were fantastic. Excuse me. Um, you know, that was the first real, you know, my, that was my home building, but it was, you know, 10,000 seat arena. It was huge. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I remember we, we would go out after the game to PJ crickets. I mean, I just turned 21. <laughs> Um, that's and, great you know we would go and the and, the, and the, the owner would always take care of us and um we had a great great group of, uh, of teammates um and we all kind of lived in the same uh same apartment complex in columbia maryland and and uh so i have nothing but great great memories it's you know barry trotz is our head coach um barry was actually a western scout when I got drafted by the cap. So, you know, I owe him a lot of credit for, for getting me to Washington. And so, you know, Barry and I have a, you know, have a long, uh, uh, outstanding relationship, um, you know, going all the way back to 88 and, um, you know, Sean Simpson, who, who was our, well, you know, I think we had like three goalies, three, four goalies, Jim Redneck. Uh, we all became close friends. Um, it was just, uh, it was, it was a fun time. And, um, you know, when you play in the American League, it's obviously a lot less pressure than when you're in the NHL. So you can you can enjoy yourself a little bit more and um, uh, you know play guilty, I guess, is is, is a term we use, um, which I wouldn't recommend <laughs> nowadays. But um, yeah, it was just it was just a fun time. It was a, it was a great era, um, you know, the early '90s, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of a lot of great memories of Baltimore. Hey, I went to you know when Camden Yards was built. I think I was there for one of the first couple games. I was there when. Awesome. And Cal Ripken tied tied the record. Wow. Uh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of great members of Baltimore. 
What was it like, you know, transitioning into the Caps? I mean, do you remember your first game, just sort of that first, those first couple moments, you know, what's going through your head uh, during that time? So I made the Caps out of my, out of the first training camp as a 19 year old uh, after that trip to Russia. And, um, you know, I think going into that camp, I had no illusion of, of being with Washington. I thought for sure I was going back to uh, my junior team. And so I went in just to, to make an impression and not put any pressure on myself and, um, as a result, I played great hockey. I didn't think about it. And then, um, you know, I got called into David Poyle's office and told me that I'd made the team out of camp. And, and then I think reality hit and, um, then I started thinking too much. Um, I got my first start in Hartford, uh, it was like the third or fourth game in the year. And, um, we were down, I want to say three, nothing, three, one after the first period. Um, but it, I, I look back and I seen I, I I didn't let any bad goals in. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was a great game, but I wouldn't say it was a bad game. It's probably an average game. Um, so I, I felt felt okay about it. We lost four one. I mean, I got I got some praise from our coaches and some of my my teammates, and um, so it was good just to get that first game out of the way. And then, you know, short time later, about ten days later, I got the start in Toronto, and uh, I was on uh, Hockey Night in Canada. And I'd lived in Toronto at some point in my childhood and and I knew what kind of big deal the Leafs were. I know what kind of big deal Hockey Night in Canada was. Um, and then I think I just got like just overwhelmed. And I mean, I started out the game great. I, mean, I think halfway through the game, we were at 4-1. I was playing well. And I don't know if a switch went off in my head and thought, okay, I've got this game figured out. This is, you know, I meant to play in the NHL. This is easy. Um because by the end of the, the end of the third period, we lost the game eight, four. <laughs> and two days later I'd got sent back to junior. So, um, but it was, uh, for me, it was a reality check. I had a long ways to go mentally. I mean, physically I was there. I was a big guy. I was in good shape, but mentally I had a long ways to go. And, um, um, and I don't think it was probably for another four or five years before I got my next start. So it, it, it was, uh, Obviously, an honor to make the team right out of camp, um, play a couple games, uh, but then it was a little bit frustrating. It took me another four or five years to get another start. How did you stay motivated? Uh, you know, just reminding yourself each day to put one foot in front of the other in a situation like that. It's something that we've talked with other goalies about, but I'm just curious how you were able to do it, uh, sort of at that time. I mean, I, it, I, I knew I had, I knew I had some growing up to do, and I knew I had some, um, I had to work on my mental toughness. Um, I knew I could be better. I knew, uh, I knew my ability. I knew my work ethic. Um, I knew my perseverance. Uh, again, I was fortunate that I was with a, an organization that was patient with me. I was fortunate that we weren't in the uh, salary cap era. Um, so, and then, and there was times where it was very frustrating. I remember when Jim Carrey came up and, and Ace had played fantastic in, in the American league and, came up and was playing really good. And, and I, you know, I, I just kept saying to myself, you know, you're, you're every bit as good as he is. He's got, he's got something figured out that um, he, he was a very laid back guy. Things didn't, things didn't phase him. I was more of an emotional guy. I wore it on my sleeve. Um, it's probably why I, I wrecked the trainer's stick budget every year. Um, but at the same time, you know, I looked at, at, at Ace's work ethic and I looked at uh, just some things and, and I said, OK, just be patient, keep working, keep working. And it's going to it'll pay off for you. And um, 
it didn't necessarily pay off for me when Ace or Jim Carrey was there, but it paid off for me the next year because you know Jim got traded at the end of that year. We got Billy Radford, Adam Oates, and and uh, Rick Tockett, um, and so you know I was reinvigorated. Um, you know, here's a new goalie that even though he's a veteran, he's won some Stanley Cups. Uh, he was near the end of his career, so I was invigorated to you know to come into camp. We just hired Dave Pryor uh as a goalie coach who i had worked with before with the national team in germany so there was a comfort level for me now and and when billy came in uh we hit it off we we, i mean i don't think there's a partner out there that could say that i never got along with them um because i always i always believed in treating people the same way you want to be treated and you know it is a competition you can do like i said earlier in the interview you you go out and do the best you can and, and then the decision is obviously up to the coach so um Anyway, great training camp. Uh, Billy had a good training camp too. And that first game, the start of the season, he got the nod. We're in Toronto again. And I remember he he took a shot in the uh, in the groin area and um, couldn't finish the period. And so I went in. I think we were winning. We were leading five nothing. Toronto was Toronto was brutal back then, and we were actually an up and coming team. And and um, we were up five nothing. And I mean, this is this is where I was mentally at the time because Toronto had never been good to me. I got blown out the one game, the second game I played in Toronto, I dislocated my kneecap. Um, so it was not a good building for me. So we're up five, nothing. I go in the period thinking, all right, here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. You know, what do I do? I go in there going, don't blow this game. Don't blow this game. Don't blow this game. And it's just the wrong mindset to have as a goalie. And I think once I got that first shot on me, uh, there was a big save. Um, I think I just settled down and then my mind switched and I said, Here's your opportunity. You know, you've had plenty down the road. You didn't run the, you didn't take the ball and run with it. Where you're at now, the organization where it's at now, take the ball and run with it. And then that's the year we ended up going to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, you know, I tell the all the young guys that I that I work with now in the organization, I just, you know, perseverance is huge. Uh, Self confidence is huge. Self belief is huge. Um, you know, the game of hockey, there's always going to be setbacks. And it's how, you know, you keep your mountains low and your valleys high. You never get too excited when things are going good and you never get too down when things are going bad. Um, you're not always playing as great as you think you are when you're winning and you're definitely not playing as bad as you think you are when you're losing. Um, you know, it's just, the, it just comes with the position You're You're a hero when you win and you're a zero when you lose. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot. Um, and those seven years leading up to finally becoming a number one guy. And I finally applied myself to it. And then, you know, I had another seven, eight years as a number one and a great, great run for the rest of my career. Talked about that cup final um, run briefly. And obviously there's no secret. You were a huge reason for why the Caps got so far that year. Um, Just insane numbers in the playoffs that year. But I'm curious what you thought of, sort of the rest of the team that year and, and what some of the other big successes from that group were. Um, and additionally, if you could sort of just take us into the the mindset in that locker room that year, what was kind of going through everybody's head? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I had a great run, but I mean, there's so many other, other contributing factors. Um, you know, that first round series against Boston, um, we were up three games to one and, all we read about in the paper, all we listened to on TV, because there wasn't social media back then, was, you know, and, and Tony Kornheiser was the worst at that with the Washington Post. 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't how great we were playing and, 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 you know, how we're doing as a team. And it was all about, here we go again. Gaps are up three, one. Um, are they going to choke again? And that's all that was, that's all that was talked about. And then we lost game five and then that just kind of kept building up. And, and, <clears throat> you know, I give Ron credit, uh, Ron Wilson credit that year because he came out and we basically just, we addressed the elephant in the room. Um, at uh in our pregame meeting before game six and he basically challenged us all, all to rise to the occasion and and um you know because we're a different team uh we're not we're not the caps of the past and anyway we we rallied as a group and we ended up eliminating boston and i think a lot like the caps in 2018 when they finally beat pittsburgh it just took a tremendous amount of weight off our shoulders and we just you know we felt, I wouldn't say invincible, but things were starting to fall in place for us. All the top three teams in that in our conference that year had gotten upset in the first round. So instead of playing Jersey or Philly, um, trying to think who else, uh, I think who else got it. But anyway, Buffalo upset Jersey, Ottawa, I think upset Philly or the opposite way around. So we ended up getting Ottawa in the second round. We, we played great against Ottawa all year. And and we steamrolled through them, and then we got Buffalo in the, in the conference finals. And we had we had a we had success. We had great you know great season series against them, um, and we were able to get through there. But I mean, we had we had a mix of talent. We had a mix of youth, veterans, tough guys, skill guys, smart asses, um, you know, cerebral guys, uh, guys that had their own language, like Esatikinen. Um, I mean, it was just a great, great locker room. And that, you know, it was the, it was the first year where Ron Wilson came in. So it was a breath of fresh air as far as, you know, new message from a coach, uh, George McPhee's first year GM. Um, and so it just didn't feel like that, that same aura around, you know, around the franchise. And we just moved into, uh, which was MCI center now capital one arena. So it was a new facility. It just everything felt new, felt like a breath of fresh air. And, um, you know, the town just hopped on board and and we just rode the momentum. Unfortunately, we ran into a juggernaut against the Red Wings. Uh, we lost four straight, but the series I thought was a lot closer than four straight. Had we had won, you know, in my mind, had we had won game two, definitely would have been a different series. Not saying that we would have won, but we could have taken a lot further. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of great personalities. You know, we had... Uh, uh, we had Brendan Witt, we had Joel Ricci, Craig Berube, Dale Hunter, Mark Tenorti, um, Peter Bondra, Adam Oates, Joey Juno. Um, you know, we brought in Esatikin and Brian Bellows. Um, you know, we we had uh, Sergey Gonchar, a young guy, Ken Klee. Um, I mean, it was just a great mix. And we just, there's reasons why teams like that go to the finals. When you gel as a unit, you care for each other and you play for each other. It just you know, the sky's the limit. And that's, that's what it was back then in 89 or in uh, uh, 98. Talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned smart asses who were some of the real uh, big uh, personalities on that team. Well, I'd say Joe Ricky was the crown. Yeah. He wore the crown for that. Um, <laughs> uh, Dale Hunter was right up there. Chris Simon, uh, Craig Berube, myself, I, I got in there a little bit. Uh, oh, I got forgot to mention Phil Housley, Hall of Famer. He was on our team too, not a bad player. Uh, 
I would say 50% of our team were smart asses. And I think that's what, what made it so enjoyable. Um, you know, we could banter with each other and not take it personal. And uh, we had practical jokers. I mean, we had, uh, let's see. So Keith Jones. Uh, Jonesy. Jonesy got traded before we, before we went. But so Jonesy was probably the biggest smart ass of them all. Yeah. <laughs> and I, well, Kelly O'Hanson. I forgot to mention Kelly too. But anyway, so Kelly and Dale, um, Jonesy was getting on their nerves. So so Kelly ordered this Lufta fish from Sweden. And if if you've ever had Lufta fish or smelled Lufta fish, it is the worst smelling thing in the world. So he ordered it direct from Sweden. And what he did is um, he took, he ended up, um, the trainer ended up getting the keys to Jonesy's car during a practice and took the fish and didn't just put it under like a floor mat. Like they actually took parts of the car off, folded the, the actual flooring up, stuck the fish in, riveted everything back. And I mean, this is, this is probably springtime starting to warm up in DC, you know, it gets pretty sticky there for about, Seven days, Jonesy had no idea what was going on. <laughs> the service center, he got it detailed. I mean, it just took forever to the point where where Huntsy and 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 Jonesy and uh, Callie just said, "Okay, this is what here's what happened." And so they, <laughs> they pulled the fish out. But anyway, that that turned into uh, coming home from a road trip, and and we would always park at Piney Orchard where our practice rink was. And um, Dale had a you know, had a Ford pickup, and um, so Jonesy had gotten in touch with Jimmy Wiseman, who was our team security guy, and had Jimmy put Dale's truck up on blocks, but put it up on blocks where you could barely fit a piece of paper under the tire and the asphalt. So when you got off the bus, you couldn't tell. So we all get in our cars, and we're pulling away, and we kind of stop, and we look over our shoulder, and all we see is Huntsy just revving the engine, the wheels just spinning like this, and... <laughs> He was there, I guess, for about an hour and a half after trying to get the blocks out and 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 get the car taken away. That's amazing. Um, there was this one other story I'll tell about Hansi. So his last year, he told us at the beginning of the year that he had, he had this one tweed blazer, and that was all he was going to wear for all our road trips, all our home games. It was the only jacket he was going to wear. So by the end of the season, um, you know, we we're getting ready to go in the playoffs and. And so we're giddy in the bus and, you know, Dale's saying some smart ass remark. Well, we're coming off the bus. I grab him by his arms and, you know, I just kind of wanted to shake him a little bit. And I, because the material was so worn down, I actually, the, the material disintegrated and his sleeve just literally pulled off his jacket. So the whole team's cheering. They're like, thank God, we're not going to see that jacket anymore. Two days later, we come to our home game. Guess what he's wearing when he walks in the door? He's got the same jacket. He had his mother-in-law sew up the sew up the sleeve, and not only that, opened up his jacket and goes, "Look, boys, Hugo Boss." He went into one of the other guy's jackets and trimmed out the oh my gosh inside and had his mother-in-law uh, <laughs> back on. But that that's the kind of that's the kind of team we had. It was just a bunch of oddballs that just we just got along. You know, I'm curious, you you played, like you just mentioned, the, the cup final era, and then you got the Yager era, and then you even saw like a young Ovechkin. Um, you know, how, 
I guess the difference between like that cup final years and then maybe like the quote unquote Yager era, like what was the difference in the teams? Like, did you, did the dynamic ever change? Did like the team get, you know, a little more serious, like, or less jokes as time went on? Like how, how the whole team dynamic change? You know, initially it was, uh, we were all, obviously we were all excited when we got Yogs. I mean, we played against him and he was, God, he was our nemesis for the longest time. So when we got him, we were excited. Um, you know, we didn't know anything about him. Uh, obviously, he was he was a different a different guy back then, um, as opposed to the guy that he is now. I mean, now he, geez, I think he just finished playing last year. He still might be playing this year for his. He is, his, yeah. Tech Republic, you know. So, but he he for whatever reason it just clicked and he started taking things more serious his second time in the NHL. But back then, he was the big dog. Wouldn't always compete the hardest in practice. Wouldn't would always complain about drills. Uh, he was just an up and down emotional guy. Um, but having said that, probably our second, third year having him, maybe second year, uh, we brought in Robert Lang and we ended up battling with Tampa for the division lead that year. They ended up beating us by one point. And I, I mean, I would argue we had just as good a team, maybe if not better than we had in 89. We went into, we played Tampa in the first round and we went in. Shut him out game one, beat him in 5-1 game two or something like that. I mean, totally had him on their heels. They'd never – organization had never gone past the first round. So, you know, in their mind they were, you know, they were probably figuring, okay, this is going to be an early, you know, early exit. And then – I don't want to necessarily put it all on coaching, but we had a relatively young guy in, in Bruce Cassidy that year and, and – um you know, we got home and all of a sudden we felt like we needed to match lines and, and uh, you know, we lost a tough one in game three in double overtime. I think, um, or in overtime, they had a, uh, they got a five on three power play in overtime, some some questionable calls. So they win game three. They're, they're feeling good about themselves. They get back into it. Uh, game four, I didn't play well. Team didn't play well. Game five, we go down. It's a good hockey game, 2-2. Two, two. Late in the third, I go out to play the puck and I rim it around the boards. And my follow through is about, you know, thigh high. But Marty St. Louis, who's, you know, four foot five at the best of times, was cutting the net. And on my follow through, I clipped him. But he was literally two feet off the ice. I mean, my stick wasn't past my thigh. <laughs> they gave me a high sticking penalty for it. So now oh my God. we're killing a penalty. They score. They make a 3 2. They win, they win game 5 3 2. We come back home. Um, on Easter, we're up one nothing with about two minutes to go. They get a lucky goal, bounces off one of our players right over to Dave Anderchuk, who's by himself, a wide, wide open net, puts it in, ties it up. And then we lose in triple overtime that year. So we lost four games to two. But, um, I mean, we had, yeah, we had Trevor Linden, Adam Oates, Jeff Halpern, uh, we still had Bondra, Gonchar, Witt. Um, God, I'm trying to remember all the guys that we had back there. And Robert Lang. We had a good hockey team. And, uh, you know, had we gotten past Tampa, I, who knows? I mean, there were, there were a lot of good teams that year. Jersey, Jersey, you know, bounced Tampa out that next round. Um, but, you know, with the Yager era, it was it was up and down. It's probably more down than up, but that that one yeah, run, yeah. that one year, that was that was a good year. Um, 
And unfortunately we didn't make it, we didn't make it happen. And then, you know, the next year we just, they dismantle everything and everybody got traded. And um, yeah, so we still had a good group of guys. I wouldn't necessarily say we're as tight as that 89 team, 98 team. Um, but we still had a good, a good group of players and a good group of guys. What was the lockout experience like for you? You go uh, over to Germany, uh, you play in Berlin, I believe. Mm -hmm. What was that whole experience like? I mean, obviously I'm sure you're not thrilled about not playing in the NHL, but uh, did you enjoy the time overseas? Yeah, the lockout sucked. I mean, that was, that was brutal. Um, you know, that was, that was the year I probably would earn the most money in my career and, and didn't get, you know, one penny from it. Um, but having said that, I, I decided I, I gave it until the new year thinking that, that there was no way we're going to miss a whole season and that, you know, we'll start, we'll start sometime in January. Well, that didn't happen. And I was, uh, 34 at the time. So I needed to play. I mean, I knew that if I took a whole year off, it was going to set me back. And, um, so I needed to play and I ended up getting in touch with Stefan Ustorf, who was a former teammate of mine in Washington and was playing for Berlin and. They needed a goalie. They, they had a young guy that um, they had a good team. They had a young guy that, you know, could be good, but they, did, they didn't want to have him going into the playoffs by himself. So I ended up going over and playing, I can't remember, 10 games maybe before the playoffs. Um, and uh, I remember in round one, I uh, I ended up hurting my knee, which I had to have surgery for when I got back to Washington. Um but we ended up winning the championship that year. Um, I felt like I had a bit of an influence on the young goalie there, um, Oliver Jonas. Um, and we had a, another, we had, a, we had probably seven or eight Canadians on the team. Um, Berlin is a world-class city. Uh, I'd been to a lot of places in Germany, uh, obviously with my family living in a lot of the parts, but I'd never, I'd never been to Berlin and, so the history of it and, you know, um, I was just over there by myself. My family had stayed back in the U.S. Uh, so on my off days, I would wander around and, and you know, do some sightseeing and touring. And, uh, you know, the DEL, the German League, is, is, is uh, for European hockey, is as close to North American as it gets. I mean, it's physical. Um, you know, uh, half the half the teams are usually made up from guys that played in North America. Uh so, you know, English is prevalent there. Um, and we played in some great cities, great buildings. Uh, and that gave me an opportunity to continue playing so that I would be somewhat sharp going into, into uh, training camp the next season. But the lockout itself sucked. Uh, that was that was brutal. Figured that much. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a consensus answer, I feel like, for everyone that we've talked to. But you've mentioned that, you know, you come into – training camp sharp after playing in Berlin. And obviously I believe that year after the lockout, that was the rookie season for Ovechkin, kind of a new look caps. They have a new era coming. What was the whole feel of that season? I mean, I know the team didn't exactly do well standings wise, but just, you know, you're talking about a legend now in Ovechkin and he was a rookie back then. What was the like aura of that year? So I met Ovi actually while I was in Germany. I remember we were in Cologne and it might've been the first game I played for Berlin and he was there uh like an under 20 russian team was there playing an exhibition game so i got to meet him there and uh my first impressions were this kid's unbelievable i mean he just he was just, you know gregarious english wasn't really good but he was as gregarious as he is now and and uh um but again i hadn't seen him play and 
it was a first overall pick and we're excited that he's coming. And so, you know, there was a buzz in town, um, uh, that next training camp. And, uh, and then the first time you go on the ice with him, you're like, wow, this kid is dynamite. And, um, what I was really impressed with was that he was not most Europeans, especially Russians. They, uh, they come in, they're a little leery. They, uh, it takes a while for them to trust people. Um, but Ovi came in right away, wanted to be a part of the group, wanted to room with the North American guy so he could learn English and learn the culture right away. Was always a part of the team. Um, and then you, when you saw him play and you saw him just play with enthusiasm and just like this youthful, it, it was it was infectious to the team. And because, you know, we'd come off, well, even the year before the lockout, you know, we had a terrible year. Um, then we had the lockout. Uh, and so... It just wasn't a it just wasn't a good vibe uh, coming back. I mean, obviously we we're excited after missing a year to be playing again, but we knew that it was going to be it was going to be a couple of tough years with the lineup that we had and how young we were. And but then you see Ovi, and now there's a little bit of optimism. You know, you're starting to like, wow, this is you know we drafted Nick Backstrom, uh, we Mike Green coming in. Um, we had a lot of we had a lot of youth coming in, and. At the time, I was like, I'm, I'm so thankful I didn't ask for a trade. I mean, I can just see, I see where this organization is going now, and I'm excited, and I just hope my body can hold up until we finally, you know, get to the culmination of being relevant again. Um, and it, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But um, yeah, always you could you could tell this is this kid was special. Um, uh, I didn't think back then he was going to continue to do what he's doing at his age now. Uh, but I knew he was going to, he was going to be without even, you know, having to see him, having to see, see him play 10 games. You know, I think after he scored that goal in Arizona, the one where he was on his back, I'm like, this kid's going to the hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> that. Uh, one of the other guys, uh, young guys on that team was, and who, in my opinion, one of the best shots I've ever seen. And uh, I don't know if you could back me up on this is Alex Semen. Uh, what was he like as a teammate? Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Alex Semen. Uh, as far as the teammate goes, he was the exact opposite of Obi. Um, didn't, didn't really want to learn the language. Didn't really, he was aloof, didn't really want to interact with his teammates. But I would arguably say that he was more talented than Obi. Um, Ovi had a, Ovi had a, had a, uh, had, was full of heart, determination. Um, I think, I think Alex Semen was just, uh, playing on pure skill. Um, as far as a shot goes, I mean, this guy, he had one of the best snapshots I've ever seen. Um, and, and it's, it's wild because he always had his hands close on the stick. And that when, when they're like this, there's not a lot of leverage on that bottom hand, so you don't get a lot of power. Um, you know, obviously, the further down you go, the more the more torque you get on your stick. But his forearms, I mean, I'm 6'3", two, well, back then I was 230. You know, I had fairly big forearms, but this kid's wrists, I mean, I could barely put my – and I got big hands. I could barely put my fingers around his wrist. So he had a set of forearms and, and hands on him, and he could just change – he could just change the stick angle without moving the hands on his stick and you just you just couldn't pick up the release. Um, uh, he was he was he was talented. He was super. He was he's probably the most disappointed teammate I've had. Um, when you see the talent that he had, and you know, 
yes, he's still ranked in all-time goal scoring for us. Um, he still put up numbers. Um, but if he'd have shown any sort of heart like Ovi had, I mean, we probably would have made Malkin and Crosby look like, you know, fourth liners. I mean, those those two are a dynamic duo, but having Alex and Alex, if, you know, if Semin had to have the drive and the and the the ticker that Ovi had, I mean, it could have been lethal. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the things I want to ask you, just speaking about after that lockout year, and this just came to me. Um, they changed all the rules. I remember that year they they cracked down on penalties. Um, they implemented the trapezoid, I believe, for the goaltenders, if I'm not mistaken. W- were people or were your teammates or just the league in general, were they like, what the hell is this? Like, how long did the adjustment period take? They took away, like, the two-line pass. They changed the offside rule. Like, what was all that like? They took away the hooking and holding, which I thought was fantastic for the game, uh, made the game faster. Uh, I think everything they did was right. I, other than the, the trapezoid, and that was basically the Marty Berdur. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think Bobby Clark from Philly was the one that was really pushing for that. Um, because goalies are really starting to, to handle the puck a lot better. Um, but you know, back then before they, they put the, the, uh, the touch off side or touch icing in, uh, or non-touch icing in, um, you know, it was a, it was it was a great way for goalies to protect the defenseman. They'd go out and play the puck, and the D-man didn't have to worry about getting killed by the by the hard forechecking uh, forward. Um, you know, you put that that trapezoid in now, it really hinders the goalie on helping the D. And and you know, I think not that I've that there's a study out on it, but I'd be curious to see how many more concussions were were incurred because of, of the goalie not being able to play the puck and the D-man just getting absolutely hammered. Um, fortunately, they put in that the uh, the no-touch icing now, which I think is great because the game has gotten so fast. Um, but it was adjustment. It was a big-time adjustment. Uh, the other adjustment we had to make was a shootout. Um, they implemented that as well. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd experienced that a little bit in Germany. I mean, in Europe, they, they have that all the time. Um, but the biggest thing in Europe is you get you get rewarded for a regulation win. If you win in regulation, you get three points. And I think that's where the NHL missed their mark with this, is that they should have put more emphasis on teams winning in regulation um, as opposed to getting the same amount of points if you win in a shootout as you do in regulation. So, um, But, yeah, so uh, I think everything they did um, was for the betterment of the game. And, you know, as a result, it's, it's, a, it's a great game to watch now. Not that it wasn't back then, but – the speed and the talent and the skill is just off the charts. No, we've kept you for a while. So we'll, we'll try to wrap up soon. I just have a you know a couple more questions here. One, I definitely want to hear about sort of what your experience has been um, more recently in the last couple of years as um, a coach with the caps and, and sort of how, how you have transitioned into that role. Um, and then of course, how your 2018 experience was as a coach with the team too. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I, it's no secret. I left on bad terms with the team back in 2008 and I went signed one year in Tampa. Uh, in hindsight, um, I probably should have just retired as a cap, but the, with the way things ended, I didn't, um, as an athlete, you have an ego and, and, and you think you can still perform at a high level. And, and I didn't want my career to end on that note. So when Tampa called and offered me the one year deal, I took it. And, um, I mean, if, from a personal standpoint, it was probably the best decision I made with my family. 
um, because things away from the rink were great. I mean, middle of January, you're coming out of the rink at 75 degrees, take the kids to the beach and, uh, you know, Disney World was right there. And, and, and so from that aspect, it was fantastic. But the hockey, uh, there, was a bit of, there was a lot of turmoil there too. And um, uh, my body had been, you know, my body was beaten up. The year before in, in Wash, I, I tore a labrum in my hip and I, I had to use all summer to recover from that. Um, and then eight games into the season in Tampa, I tore my biceps tendon. Um, I ended up getting traded at the deadline to the, to the Leafs in a salary swap. I didn't even leave Tampa. I actually hosted the year-end party for the Lightning that year, even though I was <laughs> spent a total of half a day in, in, in Toronto just to go get medically cleared. Um, and at that point, I, I, I told myself, you know, I had enough. It's my body's way of saying it's over. And and uh, so I, I I retired in 09, and then I just took two years off. And we just stayed in Tampa, and we enjoyed the two years. And, um, you know, the one thing every ex-athlete will tell you and every every wife will tell you that it's a huge adjustment that first year after you retire. Um, you know, moms have a certain way of parenting. Moms have a certain schedule moms have a certain amount of time off from their husbands and then all of a sudden the husband's there 24 7 thinking he you know he knows how to parent and, and what to do and 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 so um needless to say there was a lot of headbutting going on and and then it got to a point where like okay maybe i need to go back and work and, and get out of the house a little bit so then in uh 2011 i got in touch with uh, or dave fryer got in touch with me and knew that i wanted to get back into it and they offered me the associate goaltending job, which meant that I, I go down in Hershey and, and South Carolina and work with our prospects down there. And then I did that for two, three years, and then I uh, got hired on as the full-time guy up in Washington with Adam Oates. And uh, but the role had changed at that point, um, so I moved up to DC. My family had stayed in, in in Florida. I moved up to DC, um, and when when I was working with Dave, it was always a Dave would come in if my game needed to be fixed, work on my game for five, six days, stick around for another four days, make sure everything's on track. And then he would leave me and go watch junior or, or go down to the minors. And um, so he wasn't living in DC. Um, but just when I, when I started taking that role on the role had changed. Oatsy wanted me there full time. He wanted us to go on the ice every day with the goalies um and so for me that wasn't what i had envisioned i mean i still had three young kids down in florida and i didn't nearly get back as much as i wanted to so um you know the end of that year once he got fired and, and and barry came in and um you know i knew it's not what i wanted to do anymore i didn't want to be a full-time guy while i still had a young family and so i went to uh to mac and and um brian mcclellan and and talk to him about this player development position where not so much a skill development as it is teaching these kids how to be pros, because, you know, I knew firsthand when I came from junior, you know, you're basically thrown to the wolves. You're on your own. You're, you're coming from a, from a, from an environment where you're living with a family, you're getting your laundry done, you're getting your meals done. You don't have bills to worry about. You just got to be at the rank. Um, you're always getting told what to do. Well, when you turn pro, you've got to find your place. You've got to, you know, you've got to set up all this stuff. You've got to pay bills, grocery shopping. Um, uh, you know, you've got, you got a ton of money from signing bonus. So you've got money management that you got to deal with. You've got time management you got to deal with because you've got so much free time. Now you only got to be at the rink three hours. 
Um, and so I pitched this to Mac about coming in and trying to help these kids adjust and, you know, helping them get on a routine, um, you know, uh, so that the biggest thing for a pro is consistency. That's all coaches want out of the players is consistency. And like I said earlier, you know, keep the mountains low and the valleys high. That's consistent. You don't want a player that's up here and then down here and the, the coach doesn't know what he's getting from a, from a game-to-game basis. So um, that was my job was to go in there and, and work with these guys on, on, on making them become consistent quickly, which is very hard to do for a first-year player. I mean, it's, it's such a big jump um, going from junior college European hockey to the American League. It's less of a jump when you go from the American League to the NHL. And so that that players nowadays need somebody there to kind of help guide them and 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 let them know that you know this is what you got to expect. Um, uh, everybody that's that's come up this way has gone through the same thing, so don't feel you know feel out of place. And so it, it's something that's evolved um, for me. Uh, it, it keeps me instead of just working with the two guys and the goaltenders, I get to work with all our prospects. So um, instead of two guys, I'm working with 15 guys and that's, you know, with South Carolina and and Hershey. And, um, you know, when we won in 2018, uh, I had six guys that were on that, on that playoff roster that I'd worked with the year before in in Hershey. So um, those are the gratifying things uh, when you, when you have those kids, when you get them young and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're holding up the Stanley cup. I mean, that that's, that's worth it. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, I was born in 94. You were my favorite caps player growing up. Uh, the mask, the most iconic goalie mask, in my opinion, in NHL history, where did that all come from and how did that design get put together? So it was probably my third year pro. I got loaned out to Rochester uh, which is another long story. Um, but I got loaned out to Rochester. Um, so I was in the Buffalo Sabres organization. Um, and, uh, I just, I'd endeared myself to the fans. I, you know, like I told you guys earlier, I wore my emotions on my sleeve and, you know, this is the first time the Rochester fans had seen me and, you know, you know, here's a six foot three, 230 pound goalie, which, you know, back then was really big. Um, breaking a stick over the post or slashing somebody or punching somebody in the face. And I remember coming to the rink one day and this fan had a sign that nobody beats Godzilla. And it said number, what was my number there? 31. Um, And so I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then uh, I shortened it to Zilla because I didn't want to be sacrilegious. Um, And then the next year I started coming up with, because I actually had a pretty cool mask at the time. I had um, I had Uncle Sam on the front pointing and and you know the stars on the side. So for me That's that awesome. was was a really cool mask at the time. Uh, but then we went we went to that uh, color change where we went to the you know the copper and the and the blue and the you know with the postage stamp eagle and um, so I started working on the new design the next year. <laughs> Needless to say, the first couple weren't great. I remember one, one the the the, the Godzilla looked like Barney, um, the uh, you know the kid dinosaur, and no joke, we're in uh, we're in Portland, and that's 
that's where uh, Washington's farm team was for that that after we left Baltimore. It was our first year in Portland. And I came out for warm up, and I'm getting ready to take some shots, and all of a sudden I hear, "I love you, you love me." <laughs> One of the guys that talked to the PA guy and had him play that song and warm up. So after that game, that mask was done. Uh, it was probably, I don't know, probably took another two or three masks before I finally got the, uh, uh, the one that I ended up wearing, but, um, yeah, it's like nobody beats Godzilla. And so that just kind of stuck with me. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a great story. I have one last little kind of memory to share with you before we let you go. Um, I have no idea if you remember any of this, but, uh, sitting in my, my mom's house still to this day in Baltimore is this little framed, um, photo on top of her sort of dining room mantle and i'll try to show you through here it's a picture of you and me and my little or my older sister as little kids and we got to try on your mask and that was pretty cool definitely oh never, i'll never remember or i'll never forget that one and then this one i actually had no recollection of but my sister sent it to me the other day it was from like a uh, a reading is cool campaign that the cats yeah, must have done that. Yep. And um, yeah, it's like a whole group photo of you. And then that's my little, or that's my big sister in the front there at the bottom and some sort of weird rendition of slap shot. Back there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, remember, I remember that campaign. I think I did it for two or three years. Yeah. Just uh, some fun memories there, but uh, yeah, we still have those photos. I just thought that was funny. Oh, that's cool. Curious what memories you had of those at all, but. Yeah, no, I remember uh, I was, I was, I mean, I was big into, into giving back and, you know, uh, getting involved in charities and, um, uh, you know, anything to do with kids. And, um, so yeah, that was, uh, the reading school campaign was pretty good. I remember we did something with sports illustrated too, that kids had a chance to design my mask and, and, you know, it was a sports illustrated for kids and the, the winner would get their drawing put on the front of the cover. And, and so no, it was, I remember a lot of those things back then. Um, I so, still haven't heard about that, by the way. Do you know when they're going to announce who won? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they might announce the actually they might announce the winner before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. I remember pulling that piece out of the magazine and coloring my design and mailing it in. That's funny. Yeah, I I think I have a copy of it somewhere. I think it's in the storage unit with a lot of my stuff. But yeah, no, that that stuff was. Uh, I think I think it's important to do for athletes um, uh, or any anybody of prominence that you know you have a you have a platform where you can you can make a difference or you can help out and um, yeah I, I really enjoy doing that stuff and obviously awesome. you know it has an effect because you remember absolutely yeah. yeah no it's not yeah. for nothing um, yeah we we just want to thank you again for all your time you know if there's anything you want to share with our listeners before you go you're more than welcome to I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your own life so. Yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm actually uh, pretty proud to see you doing, you're following your dad's footsteps. I, you know, I'm a big fan of your dad and dad and I have a pretty good relationship and uh, he was always one I could, uh, you know, as athletes, we don't always have a, a, a great relationship with the press media. Uh, but Mike was one of the, uh, he's one of the rare guys you could trust. And, and um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to see you kind of, kind of following his footsteps. Appreciate that. Yeah. Means a lot. All righty. Well, Oli, thank you so much once again. We really, really appreciate the time. Oh, anytime, guys. Feel free uh, down the road. You want to talk about something else? Feel free to give me a call.
We would just want to take another opportunity to say a huge thanks to Oli for hopping on with us. Uh, that is top three all time for me. Uh, that was just so cool. I grew up idolizing that guy, watching that guy, wanting to be that guy. So uh, that was just amazing. Yeah, can't say enough good things about him. Uh, he was my first Caps jersey I ever had as a kid was the uh, black Capitol Dome, only the goalie jersey. So, um, yeah, huge thank you to him. And uh, hopefully many more exciting interviews to come up uh, upcoming. Yeah, definitely. You know what else is exciting? You tell me. I Kane have no idea. Footwear. Oh, I oh no idea. if you haven't heard, yeah, Kane Footwear is pretty exciting because they just released a new shoe that they collabed with Hillary Knight on. So, I think everyone on this podcast was in love with her at some point in their lives. So um, I'll be accurate. Yeah. yeah, go buy the shoe. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, Kane Footwear is changing the game by providing a unique shoe focused on recovery while being made from sustainable materials. The Kane Revive is made with bounce back foam created from Brazilian sugarcane, a renewable resource. Sugarcane helps reduce greenhouse gases by capturing CO2 as it grows. Kane's unique bounce back foam provides the ideal balance of cushioning and support to help the body renew. Head to the link in our bio today to grab a pair of the most comfortable shoes you will ever own. I echo that. I wear them to the bar now. Matt, good tip, by the way. This is for anybody out there who's bought a pair and you wear them out, you get them dirty. I'm small brained and Mac is big brained. And he basically pointed out to me that they are water resistant. So you can literally hose them down, scrub them with soap. You do whatever you got to do to clean those bad boys up. So when you wear them, you are waterproof. Exactly. (laughs) I actually just wore them on a, uh, over the weekend, I was at a friend's bachelor weekend party. It was a fishing, fishing ordeal and, um, wore the canes. I was also decked out in brackish UV gear um, so yeah, all the EB sponsors were keeping me safe out there on the water. It was pretty great. Caught some fish too. It looked like a blast. I mean, how was the haul? We, so there was two boats. There was five of us on each boat, uh, not including like the captains. Um, and it's funny, we, we split up into the one group that wanted to take it really seriously. And that was like, that had the boat with the bachelor on it. Um, and then the other boat was like branded as the party boat. Like if we catch some fish, that's cool, but we're just going to like, drink beer on the boat (laughs) and um the party boat which was my boat caught seven fish and the serious boat caught four so (laughs) party boat always wins yep exactly i myself caught one uh lake trout um but yeah we all it was all lake trout and king salmon that we were catching nice it's not bad company that was good stuff yeah the snaps looked great on that i definitely need to do like a fit was that in um wisconsin or did you guys go like somewhere else nope so one of our buddies has a beach house in uh like his family beach house is in south haven michigan which is a great little Mm -hmm. town in uh if if you've never been there it's a cool little beach town tons to do ton ton of fun little like area downtown but also you're right on the lake tons of hiking swimming fishing boating to do it was it was a blast of a weekend so yeah it looked it about four hours away from here nice very jealous very jealous indeed well, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. We're going to go recap all the free agency. I do want to point out, we're going to separate the Capitals and the Penguins transactions from the rest of them. Uh, you know why. You've been listening long enough at this point, probably. So um, let's get started and not to pick on Jackson so soon in the episode, but the Chicago Blackhawks have officially traded Alex DeBrinkett to the Ottawa Senators. They traded the Brinkett for Ottawa's first and second round picks in this year's draft. The picks have already gone. 
and a third round pick in the 2024 draft. Wow. Um, Jackson, I got to hear your thoughts on this before anybody else chimes in. Making me rip off the Band-Aid already. I was kind of hoping this would be like shoved into like the end as like a quick thing. But I guess I guess with the amount of the what everything was, I guess it had to be first. But yeah. I without knowing the prospects that we got in this trade very well, I absolutely effing hate this trade so much. Yeah. Because it's one thing if like they're getting rid of like we'll talk about later Dylan Strom because he's been solid but inconsistent. This guy is 24 years old and just scored 40 goals. Yeah. And by the time this Hawks team will be good again and actually contending, hopefully three or four years down the line, he's gonna be 28, 29 years old, right in the middle of his prime with another three or four years of his prime left. Yeah. So it's we should have gotten a lot more. Um, yeah. I would have loved, like, I get without a first-round pick, it it kind of is what it was. Getting number seven was insane, but I I literally just, my heart sank when I saw that. And I'm like, I, are, I hate Kyle Davidson so goddamn much. <laughs> so... What's the consensus opinion in, in the Chicago sports world? Like, is, are there many people talking about it? Oh yeah, I am. I've been kind of deeper into Blackhawks Twitter and some of the people I know from other Twitters that are also Blackhawks fans. And while they, at this point, they understand it somewhat, they are still mighty. They're they're happy with the draft, like who we got, but they absolutely hate that it had to come at the cost of um, DeBrinket and Kirby Doc. I think this is just one of those deals where it's like, if you're a Hawks fan, you're going to hate it until that prospect is a stud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even just makes the league so you can kind of True. Like judge it up. But um, yeah. And then the Blackhawks, obviously they trade Kirby doc uh, to the Montreal Canadians, which is honestly like kind of a really good trade for the Habs. If you want my honest mm-hmm. opinion, I, I, they might be sneaky this year. I've shit on them ever <laughs> since this podcast has existed. I'm slowly maybe buying it. Maybe. If uh, if Carey Price can find his game, then yeah, yeah, it's that's possible. Obviously, the big X factor here. The Petrie mm-hmm. loss is big for them, but we'll touch on that obviously later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so now we're going to move on to some signings. Um, the L.A. Kings acquired Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild, and then turned around and signed him to a seven-year, fifty-five million dollar deal. Fiala's coming off a career year with the Wild. What do you guys think about this one? You want to say it's a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down, or as we'll use on this podcast, uh, we'll dump and change for bad signing, and we'll go with wheeling for a good signing. Wheels all day. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement. Nick, what do you think? I think, yeah, I just – it's kind of a Minnesota contract in L.A., yeah, yes, that's, that's a very fair. good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. so that's the I mean, only it's thing. Too that, long for sure, but yes, and we all know that these deals—it's like the first four is for the team, the last three is for the player. Yeah, yeah, and there's always probably—I mean, I don't know the the specifics of the contract, but people just sign seven-year deals, and by year six, they just kept, they factor in the buyout, and it's right. Crazy. And seven years from now, the Kings could add two more Stanley Cups with Turcotte, Kaliev, Byfield, all these guys. Like they are on the up and up for sure. 
Jackson, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of it for a couple of reasons. One, my first is a completely biased reason in the fact that Kevin Fiala is no longer in the division against <laughs> the Blackhawks anymore. So, uh, uh, fuck Minnesota. Yeah. But, um, but I also like this. Like you said, I think this is good. This is a good building piece. Continue to build uh, piece for the Kings. Um, you just when you're in the middle of a rebuild and you make that first playoff series and you play really well and you get that first big piece like i'll go back to hawks getting marion hosa that's kind of i not i don't know if fiala is going to be as good as marion hosa was but that's kind of the vibes i'm getting from this off the ice that dude in la yeah that's holy uh, shit well now that sagan's taking off the uh dating market we got new bat signals that'll be flipped up but yeah that's god neither here nor there um Staying on the topic of the Minnesota Wild, they re-signed goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury to a two-year, $7 million deal. There was a lot of speculation about Fleury potentially going back to the Pens. There was talks about maybe the, you know, the Caps trying to make another pitch after the trade deadline pitch failed. What do you guys think of this deal for Minnesota? I think it's solid. Two years um, makes sense. Obviously, I think even one would have been fine, but like, like we said before, you know, there's a little bit built in there for the player. I think two years makes sense for, for MAF and for the wild. They didn't have a choice either. I mean, they dealt Talbot. This Mm -hmm. is your guy. The goalie market was essentially dried up after Kemper was off the table. So, you know, you got to stick with your guy. Yeah. They doubled down. They committed to it. So they're, they're stuck with it now. They're going to lean into it. And I think it's, you know, it, it shouldn't be a bad, Bad call. I think it'll work out well for them. They did the opposite of what Vegas did. Quite literally, yes. Yeah, they shipped Cam Talbot up to Ottawa. Ottawa, God knows. I don't that team mm-hmm. might be sneaky this year. Um, a lot of lot of rumors about how they stack up against the Leafs in terms of offense. I don't know if I agree with that just yet. Jackson, you got any final uh thoughts on the deal? Yeah, no, I think 3.5 million for a guy who's still going to be at the very least an above average tendy is going to be good for Minnesota. For them, it's really going to come down to the facts of who their backup is at this point and how he's going to play when Flurry does have to sit. But nothing wrong if you keep a guy at three and a half AAV. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the Canucks, they re-signed Brock Besser to a three-year deal just shy of $20 million. Uh, the Kings, they re-signed Adrian Kempe to a four-year $22 million deal. So LA's dealing some big money out to the young guys lately. Um, this one's just hysterical, especially with Torts in town now. Uh, Tony D'Angelo gets traded to the flyers and then signs a two year, $10 million contract. A lot of thoughts on that one on Twitter, all of which were funny. You need to follow evil gritty. If you don't already, because that shit was hysterical. (laughs) Um, Billy Huso. I actually think this one is underrated and honestly has a bigger impact on Detroit than I think, or um, on St. Louis than it does Detroit in this instance. Huso gets dealt to the Detroit Red Wings. And then he signs a three year contract. $14.25 $14.25 million deal. I, I'm less talking about Detroit in this one and more talking about St. Louis. It sounds like Bennington's back to being, you know, having the net solo. Or at least they think so. I mean, I think so. The dude's been pretty shaky for two years ever since winning a cup. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which Bennington we get. But I love this for the Red Wings. I think this is an absolute home run with where they are and guys like. 
Yeah. They might be good this year. Yeah, yeah. they mm-hmm. might be. They might they, be. I mean, they they made a little bit of a push last year even. So, they, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think they could definitely be sneaky this year. So, just quick question to you guys. I mean, like, why would St. Louis do this if Huso honestly was probably was the better tendy between him and Bennington and he's younger? You know, I'm, I don't. I don't know. I think the playoffs kind of bit him in the ass because they started going back and forth and then Bennington got hurt. Um, and that's the only reason Huso got back in the net. I don't know if this was maybe a salary cap stunt. I mean, we'll get into this in a second or not. I second, also but. think it comes down to the fact that they know they could get way more for Huso and they're just kind of gambling yeah. on like on the idea that Bennington did win them a cup and hopefully he still got his game down in there somewhere and he could find it. So like if I have two of the same thing, these guys are both like interchangeable in the net right now. Let me just get whatever I can for who's going to give me more. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's a good way to put it, Nick. I think they're kind of the same guy. It's just who, so you kind of know what you're going to get. And Bennington can either like steal you 10 games in a row or lose you 10 games in a row. So. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I do like that for Detroit, especially with Nadelkovich mm-hmm. in there as well. That's going to be a nice little one, two punch. Um, this is probably, I'd say the biggest signing per, well, second biggest signing in free agency. Philip Forsberg agrees to an eight year, $68 million deal with the Nashville predators. Not a whole lot to say. I think I'm done. Great with job by the Philip Forsberg news. No more trade news. No more signing news. This is the last I want to hear about it because we've gone through this. How many times? A lot. And yes, it I'm heavily biased because it pains me physically every time I hear his name spoken, but yeah. Yeah. Good old Marty Erat. You can thank him. <laughs> um, but yeah, good job by the Preds. I mean, they keep their, their ace basically on the, mm-hmm. on the forward core. Um, we've got another goalie swap. So Colorado obviously got rid of Kemper who goes to Washington. We'll talk about that deal in a second. To replace him via trade with the Rangers, they acquired goaltender Alex Georgiev, and he then signs a three-year, $10.2 million ticket. A little bit of a gamble, in my opinion, especially just coming off a cup and still having a lot of years with that window open. But the young Russian goaltender has his chance to prove himself. And I think that's the best way to put it. He's got a chance. He's got a three-year deal here, uh, $10 million, like you said. I don't know about this one. We haven't really seen him much in a starting role unless like Igor was hurt. And that was only for like a handful of games here and there. So who knows what's going to happen with this one? I, you know, as an abs fan, I would not be a fan. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I've always thought that Georgiev had some potential that was getting kind of squashed a little bit by um, the situation in New York, not really enough room for him to grow and and step up there with uh, Igor, but um, yeah, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope that he can uh, find his game, not even find his game, but, you know, just find a way to uh, kind of break out as an actual starting goalie in Colorado. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on and sticking with Colorado, they sign Valeri Nachushkin to an eight-year, $49 million deal. You want to talk about cashing in on a playoff run? This is right there in the dictionary. Because this guy was a journeyman, always had like a lot of skill and potential, never really found his spot, goes to Colorado, had a decent season, but the playoffs really are the money maker Kid, for this ticket. Like 25 this year, right? Uh, yeah. Honestly beats me. Good question. But the playoff run, I mean, Mac, we were even saying for, for gambling purposes, 
come the finals, he could have been a dark horse for Conn Smythe. Yeah, he was definitely in the conversation. That's for sure. Uh, what do you guys think? I think eight years is a lot for a guy who's had like one stretch of good play, but I understand it. I think this is a guy that really excels when he's playing on a good team. Like you saw him struggle in Dallas. He had that year that everyone talks about where he didn't score. Now he comes over to Colorado. He's got this sort of like, you know, Tom Wilson-esque game where he can, you know, chip in offensively, but he can also run guys over in the corner. And I think it just worked. So, I mean, if he can keep that up for these eight years, great. But I mean, uh, that is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit over $6 million per, if I'm not mistaken, um, with my mediocre fifth-grade math. Which would be more than McKinnon currently, correct? Yes, another uh, another little controversy. So geez. Crazy. Yeah, Colorado's stacked. Um, you know, they might have lost their starting goaltender, but personally, I don't think you need the best goalie. Kemper's not the best goalie in the league, but Colorado no. found a way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. We're going to move on to what I would call the biggest free agent signing um, in the offseason so far. We got Johnny Hockey. Johnny Gaudreau was offered a te- like an eight-year, $10 million per deal from Calgary, stiffs him, gives him the finger, leaves, tries to sign with Philadelphia. Their incompetent GM can't actually find the cap space to sign him, and instead he goes just across the Ohio River to the Columbus Blue Jackets on a seven-year, $68 million contract. Holy shit. What are the thoughts, boys? I actually, in a weird way, like, obviously, I hate the Flyers. I mean, CBJ is also in our division, so that doesn't make a difference. But typically, I'm like, I don't want to see, like, the Flyers, the Penguins, or the Rangers get, like, anybody good or anybody that I like, right? In a weird way, I would have rather Johnny Hockey go to Philadelphia than the Columbus fucking Blue Jackets just because it's like, at least that would be kind of cool for like the game in a way, you know, like that would have been pretty sick if like, if the Flyers got Johnny Hockey and he had like torts and shit, like, I don't know, that would have been, I could have lived with the Islanders too. Oh, I definitely could have lived with the Islanders. CBJ, I, I my problem here is I like Johnny Ham and Cheese, and I'm just bummed that he's just gonna go like disappear into like the stratosphere in Columbus. Like literally, yeah. I have a buddy who's from like just outside of Columbus, and he like is a decent sports fan too. Doesn't know a ton about hockey, but like the other day he was talking to me, and he's like. So like, when's Ohio going to get a hockey team? And I was like, you have one. (laughs) Like, that's just, that's the exact example of like why I hate this because it's like, they don't even know what the fuck is going on. They're like, Oh, we like signed somebody. Okay. Like whatever. Like it's so stupid. So that's my rant on that. Oh my God. Nick, what are your thoughts on the deal? I mean, this is just so beyond dumb. It's just like, it's, I was it's like, oh, it's going to be Philly. Oh, it's going to be New Jersey. Oh, it's going to be New York. And I'm like, oh, just stay the fuck out of my metro, please. Even, like, even Jersey would have been cooler than this. Exactly. Like, you know, to quote <laughs> Shrek, get out of my swamp. Like, please <laughs> get out of my swamp. And this guy goes, oh, and then you start to hear there's another team in play. And I'm like, great. Like, St. Louis. It's like, no, Columbus. Fuck. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Yeah, give me, oh. give me something a little better to work with. It's like, and then you look at their roster, it's just like, let's put two really good players on the wing on the first line and nothing down the middle. So, yeah. like, I mean, I don't know. This team will probably end up, like, still knocking on the door for a playoff spot, though. It's just how they work. They're always in the mix somehow. They're never mm-hmm. an easy out. 
Jackson, Definitely. you got any thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to be a little bit different. I know Columbus isn't as huge a market as some of these other teams, but I feel like it's it's a little disrespectful some people talking down on them. I mean, I mean, I'm 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 happy. I'm honestly happy that he left Calgary for the simple fact of how salty he's made everyone there. I don't know if I've, all you saw that clip of that news anchor or whatever. Oh yeah, that like was in Calgary. Awesome. I was just like, come on. Like, we've all had, like, big guys leave our teams in our cities at one point. You don't have to be petty about it. But um, I guess now that they're in the Eastern Conference, I've always had a weird soft spot for Columbus, especially after they made the greatest meme ever and beat Tampa Bay in a sweep. So I, for his bag, I don't like it because there was rumors he was going to get, like, 15 or, like, 17 and a half million a year from calgary at one point but the max just, whatever it is yeah simply just the storylines i think it's going to be interesting and people still trying to figure out like why the hell did he go to columbus i also just don't like it because the flames i've <clears> said on this show before but the flames have like low-key been one of my favorite canadian teams for a while i just i like their their image and just their like they sort of are that like bad boy fun hockey team team. very fun hockey team or they were but yeah and now they're (laughs) just like gone like just there's like kachuk's probably leaving now too and just it just i'm kind of bummed about that so of course he comes to the metro that's all my last (laughs) comment is however i will say you got line a you got gaudreau that one kid, that prospect, Kent Johnson, nasty. Yeah, the kid Insane, from Michigan. Yeah, insanely skilled. Elvis is totally totally capable of shutting it down in net for that team, too. Like, if yeah. you look at it on paper, they actually are starting to look decent. And Korinsky, Cor- do they still have Corpus Allo? I thought they I dished him somewhere, but maybe they do. Don't know. Um, but I don't know. They kind of got a couple guys that are, like, key guys you want to watch. Um be an interesting team. I don't know if I'd say fun team, but interesting team. Yeah. Uh, moving on, this was a big trade, and I think that Mac and Nick are going to have a lot of thoughts about this one. Um, a stunning trade. <laughs> the Golden Knights send Max Pacioretty and Dylan, help me, Co- Coglin, Coglin to the Hurricanes for uh, nothing, literally. So, um, thoughts, uh... comments, concerns. Oh, you stupid idiots. Like, what <laughs> do you think you're doing? Like, it's like, okay, we'll give Nick Suzuki to the Canadians for Max Pacioretty, and then we'll give Max Pacioretty away for nothing. <laughs> to, to the Metro. G- genius. Yeah. yeah. To the Metro. And of course it's to the Metro once again. Yeah. Like, of course the like, of course the Hurricanes somehow found their way into that deal and are just like gonna reap the benefits of it and not have yeah. to pay anything. Uh, I hate the Golden Knights so damn much because they continually just screw up their cap space every year where they have to trade somebody good away to actually have cap space to sign somebody else good. Like they like remember. they refuse to like wait on players too or like just they're, invest. They're so, they're so impatient. Like they just fucking if they don't like how a guy played or even if they do like how a guy played for a year or two. They're like, yeah, that's enough though. Next. Like, like, like if you're yeah. a player on that team and you're talking with your GM or coach for that, like matter, like, and they come to you and say like, yeah, we're going to re up you for two years. And you're going to go, how do I believe any of this? Because you've said this to 
everyone, you know, coaches, players, whatever. And I just want to know if they have a master plan of some sort. It doesn't seem to me that they do. It doesn't seem like they're thinking more than like two days into the future at a time. Like literally they're just like, Oh yeah. See, they think it's a slot machine where you just keep switching stuff around (laughs) and hitting the button and eventually it'll all come around. (laughs) You know, I was actually thinking, I love it. That's good. I think they've kind of adopted like the LA sports teams market ideology where it's like, yeah. Just get the star players every cycle and eventually we'll win because we had that one good year when we were actually a team. Yeah, they think they think they're like an NBA team where it's like, oh, we lost in the playoffs. OK, time to like completely change out our team. <laughs> Try it again. Oh, didn't work. OK, recycle it. And like, just. Yeah, it's a little different with hockey. Nick, <laughs> I, LA Lakers. I, Nick, I need a meme of some movie scene with a casino involved and you just put like Vegas golden Knights logo on the face. I need just, that. And when the like machine goes, you've got like, Pacioretty. yeah, exactly. And then like, do it again. You've got like flurry liner and <laughs> Oscar <laughs> Danks, freaking Malcolm yeah. Subban. Oh in my there. God. Yeah. I, I, there have been reports that there are a lot of, well, one, this was a very unpopular move in the locker room. Pacioretty was beloved in that team. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I think guys are starting to realize like this is a rotating carousel. I mean, other than Carlson and Riley Smith, who we'll talk about in a second, is everybody gone? I uh, maybe did was Shea Theodore part of that expansion? I think he was, but like three guys left. Maybe that's it, which is crazy because they're not that old. Colin Miller's gone. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do know that. Um, Speaking of Riley Smith, signed a three-year deal for $15 million total, I think, relating to what Jackson Overpay. just said. Trade. You think so? I, don't I know. do. I like, I like Riley Smith a lot. I do. Well, I don't, but like that's just because of 2018. <laughs> I, I Genuinely uh, speaking, I also think this is like a slight overpay by like one or two million, but I'm just nitpicking now. Huh. No, I don't need it. Mm. Um, this is an interesting one. David Perron will not be returning to the Blues this year. He signed a two-year, $9.5 million deal with the Red Wings. Yet again, I love what Stevie Wise doing. This guy was red hot in the playoffs for the Blues. Young team, and now they're getting this guy who's got a lot of swagger, a lot of playoff experience. I like this deal. He's a son of a bitch, too, to play against. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Absolutely. a great deal for the Red Wings. I mean, it just like you think back on like those great Red Wings teams. They had guys like Holmstrom and Franz, and that could just run you in the corner. And Perron will play that kind of game. This team has some bullies now, if you think yep. about it. Like more Mo Sider on the blue line can run you over for sure. Now you got David Perron. It's unclear if they're gonna keep uh what's his name? Um, you know, Mr. Controversial, nobody wants him, he's unvaxxed or whatever. What's his name? Oh, Bertuzzi. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Okay. oh yeah, the legend. But yeah, he can he can bully you as well. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's a son of a bitch to play against too. Um, moving on uh this one i'm sure you guys have some comments about uh andre burakowski signs a five-year 27 and a half million dollar deal to the seattle kraken so my thing here is that he signed a five-year deal to take a nap for five years basically. pretty much nice yeah he got his, he's got two cups now right so yeah he's he like that's cool i'll just go like snooze for a little bit he Big can uh, he's got two cups he can match the fan that was congratulating him after the uh 2018 cup with the display behind <laughs> the glass cups. yeah that's right Good. yeah there you go uh, um yeah. the avalanche re-sign arturi lekkinen to a five-year 22 and a half million dollar deal 
I mean, he's just a gamer, dude. He scores yep. big goals at big time, so can't really argue with that. Um, uh, how to spend $160 million in three minutes by the Tampa Bay Lightning. They signed an eight-year, $68 million deal with Sergachev, an eight-year, $50 million deal with Shirelli, and then an eight-year, $41.5 million deal with Eric Chernak. Uh, wow, that's a lot of dough. These are also like three of the guys that I think are very responsible for them winning back-to-back Stanley Cups and making it to a third final. I mean, mm-hmm. Sorelli, I think, should be up for Selkie at some point because he's, in my opinion right now, the best defensive forward in the game. Uh, Sergachev, I think you look at this in Chernak like, you know, McDonough's out, right? Yeah, he's gone. This is who's taking over. Yep. 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 Obviously, Ryan McDonough gets traded to the Nashville Predators. If we miss anything on this list, by the way, blame me as Penn because we're just going right off the list. <laughs> um, it's not on us. Uh, the next deal we want to talk about, unfortunately, I like this deal and it just fits so fucking perfectly, <laughs> but it is what it is. The Rangers sign a guy named Vinny Shocker. Vincent Trocek <laughs> signs a seven-year deal, almost $40 million. The new second-line senator replaced Ryan Strom, who got signed by Anaheim. Uh, later that week guys like what the hell like (laughs) this just fits so well it's a guy named Vinny. he's pesky he's a son of a fucking bitch to play against he scores big goals he sells hard he's got that like missing two like it just all fits like the rangers like this is such a perfect signing for them and i hate it I, I hate to say it, I love Trocheck. I think he's a hell of a player. This is one of the, like, if you if you could tell me, like, you know, top five guys in the league that you want on your team, excluding, like, the superstars and shit, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. But, like, dude, this guy for sure, I, I love watching him play, and it's going to suck to see him play for the Rangers now because he's a hell of a player. This is another yeah. one of those dudes I, like, always try to draft on my fantasy team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely points machine all year long yeah. mr consistent too as i know because you and i literally draft or attempt to draft the same players every year but yeah we do this is one where i saw this notification on my phone and my stomach just dropped i was like i can see this playoff overtime game winner now i can see the face off oh, yeah. win coming right back to panarin now whatever line they put him on mm-hmm. this i mean bad news bears if you're a non-ranger fan yeah. You, you know who he reminds me of from back in the day? Not now, but in his prime. He reminds me of Derek Stepan, the way he plays. It's a good one. He's got Love that it. like right-handed shot, same kind of size, block shots, kills penalties, could play power plays, scores big goal. He just does everything, everything yeah. well. And it's he annoying. gets moved a lot too. Yeah, and he gets moved a lot. Um, speaking of the Rangers, they lose out on Andrew Kopp in free agency to the Detroit Red Wings on a five-year deal. Just over $28 million. The Iser plan is in full commence. I love what the Red Wings are doing this offseason. Um, we're going to move on to what I would call maybe the third biggest deal, depending on who you are. Uh, Claude Giroux officially signs a three-year deal to the Ottawa Senators for $19.5 million. What are your thoughts? Dark Horse team right away. I think I even, when the news came out, I like quote tweeted it, and I'm like, I'm liking what the senators are doing. They have yeah. really solid bait and their, their top six is just incredible. And the it's fact nasty. that they were able to resign one of their big pieces that we'll, we'll get to later. I mean, 
Senators are, are going to be a fun team to use in uh, NHL 23, but they're also going to be a really fun team to watch in real life. So. Definitely. And I'm a big fan of those uniforms. They're starting to grow on me a lot. I mm, love so sick. The, like, I love the simplistic logo as opposed to the stupid 3D one that yeah. they had for like four <laughs> years. And then they changed like Harry, when they went to the conference finals against the Penguins, like they would change their stupid uniform like every three years or something. And it just went <laughs> yeah. from bad to worse to what the hell are you doing? Yeah, that black one is awesome with just the mm-hmm. flat like emblem on it. Really good. If you're new here, um, we don't talk about players. We just talk about jerseys. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It's, a it's very, the most important part. <laughs> it's a very is. popular thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you are good. You just have to look good. Exactly. Fake so it till have, you make it. I have a very important question for Nick and Mac. Is the orb of confusion following him to Ottawa, or are we officially going to maybe realize he's still got a little bit in the tank? I'm thinking it follows him. So hear me out. We're going to get scientific here, which it's me. So that's fucking scary. But let's hear it. um, You know how like they would talk about like cells that when they got so big, they would split into two smaller. I like I like where you're going with this. That one, mitosis. I knew it was mitosis or meiosis or something. Anyways, I think the orb is now divided. I think half of it Mm -hmm. went to Ottawa and I think half of it stayed in Philly because you're right, actually. They're still very confused because they thought with Johnny Gaudreau that he would just show up. It's like, no, you do have to offer him something and then he comes to play for you. Well, they're also still very confused because like just like we saw in this past postseason when he was with the Panthers, there was tons of Flyers fans that were like rooting for the Panthers and being like, Oh my God, like get caught a cup. And like, they still seemed very confused about him being able to like go win a Stanley cup, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say you're, you're absolutely right. Half of it stays in Philly. Cause he'll still have his original orb following of all the confused followers being like, yeah, go Claude Giroux. But then there's a bunch of senators fans now that inherit the other half of the, uh, the mitosis orb. Definitely. And, um, I wonder yeah. how many more teams he's going to play on before Flyers fans are like, all right, go ducks. All right, go wild. Wait a minute. Like, yeah, <laughs> I really need to the penguins and happened? Flyers fans are like, wait a minute. Yeah. What happened? I'd be confused. What happened? <laughs> I need a mitosis meme so bad on TikTok <laughs> right now. Um, with Jeru's face just getting split in half and like melting. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Um, all right, moving on. We got a little goalie drama to talk about. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, they ditched Jack Campbell, who they didn't even make a contract offer to, apparently. He signs with the Oilers for a five-year, $25 million deal. And in the meantime, the Maple Leafs go with an all-star tandem that we all saw coming of Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. I don't I, I don't even want to, like, ask, like – in a question about each contract, I want your guys' opinion. Who's going to have better goaltending this year, the Leafs or the Oilers? No. I think yeah. so. Okay, so call me crazy. I think in a weird way, you're Murray's going to find it. I hope so. I don't think you're totally off, but I think it's going to be better. I think because he's from there originally, right? Um, or lived there or has some connection to there got, or something. So- is it is it the who's the gray the Sault Marie gray yeah. or whatever? So oh du- right, I forgot about this. Dubis was the GM of the Greyhounds when Murray played for the Greyhounds, so they have a little bit of history there. Do you know who the coach was of the Greyhounds that Dubis hired? No, Sheldon Keefe. Oh my God, wow. it's coming full circle. Yeah, wow, <laughs> wow. I I could see Murray finding his game. To me, all three of the goalies we just mentioned, Murray, Samsonov, and Campbell, all three of them have something to prove this year. So, I mean, 
that should be a good thing. The only thing that I worry about for Sammy is to me, one of his biggest problems in Washington was confidence. Like he would get on a roll and he'd be really good. And then he lets in one shitter and then he's terrible for the next two weeks. And, um, to me going to Toronto made no sense because I, I immediately thought of that. And I'm like, that's the most like scrutinizing market mm-hmm. in the NHL. And they are going to be very hard on him just like they <laughs> Plus are he's Russian. all of their players. Yeah. <laughs> they so, give those guys no breaks whatsoever. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough media outlet to walk into. Um, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Who's got a better goaltending situation. I think honestly, that Campbell deal might be a little too fat for me. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he had one decent season. I mean, he had a good season. I'll, I'll call it like it is, but man, he had some bad stretches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've just never know. understood the thought process with giving a unproven or shaky goaltender term. Well, and to me, like the, the Leafs team he played for last year was better than mm-hmm. the Oilers team that he's about to play for in terms of like depth. Yeah. being able to help your goalie win games. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the Oilers D I think is weaker than the Leafs D that he just played for. So if anything, he's going to need to be stronger. Yeah. Should yeah. be interesting and to watch. Um, yeah, and it's. You go. Yeah. Uh, it's just going to say, it's hard for me to trust any like halfway decent goalie in an Oilers uniform, just between Miko Koskinen, Mike Smith name and Cam Talbot. Yeah. Like you, if they need to get an actual elite goaltender, which means they're going to have to have a competent organization to draft one at some point. So, but that'll happen when, uh, pigs never. Fly. never. So, yeah. 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 They, yeah. If you, when you really think about it, all those names you just listed, they all kind of fall into the same category. It's like that, like, ah, to dry market. We have no other choice. So one B yeah. Or two a. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so last two deals we'll talk about, and then we'll talk caps and pens. Uh, the Senators, they sign restricted free agent Josh Norris to an eight-year, $63.5 million deal. Big payday for the young stud who's coming off a really good season. And then uh, Andre Palat finally ditches the Lightning, but of course he comes to the Metro and is joining the New Jersey Devils on a five-year, $30 million deal. Good for him. He deserves it. Solid payday. I won't be concerned about the Devils until they solve the the goaltending problem because I think they're still about five to ten years away from doing that. But um, this is one I do not like at all. He sure and him down the middle is a nightmare scenario for anyone in the Metro, uh, especially teams that struggle in the neutral zone. Just trying to think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> Hughes too. I mean, they yeah. got they're deep. They're very deep. Um, watch watch Vanacek just be unreal for them and and just this team absolutely like tears apart the metro and like finishes like second or some bullshit. I don't know why the caps are like hell bent on like trading a player to the devils like every two years. It's just yeah, we love it. We're like, oh Siegenthaler, Johansson, Siegenthaler, Vanacek. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's get to the caps devils. We'll run through these um a little quickly. Uh Kemper. You guys landed him. Good job. You got him on a $26.5 million deal, AAV of 5.25. What are your thoughts? Initially, I was kind of like, okay, I hope we don't sign Kemper just because I was worried he was going to be too expensive. I also worry about the injury problems that he's had in the past. 
Um, now that I've had some chances to look into it more and kind of mull it over, I am happy about it. Uh, I'm excited to see him in a Caps uni, excited to see what he can do for us. Definitely is an upgrade from last year. You can't deny that. Um, I am still a little bit worried about his injury problems, but that's not really the kind of thing that is worth worrying about until it happens. So, um, yeah, I will see. I don't hate the term. I think when all things are considered him and Lindgren, the amount of money that they're each getting, like that they're getting total, it's pretty cheap to pay for a pretty good goalie tandem. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, I had the same initial reaction as you. I was worried that the cup was going to make this deal come in at about like six and a half, maybe even seven per. So I'm happy with the 5.25. Yeah, I like this. It had to be done. There was no other option, really. They kind of backed themselves into a corner, but they got the guy they were going after. So you have to be happy with that. I will say the Lindgren thing is a little strange to me. I, I sort of don't get the the logic in signing a guy like that instead of promoting Zach Fucali. Obviously, we're biased here because we're big fans of the guy and we've talked to him. Um, but to me, Charlie Lindgren and Zach Fucali are nearly identical in terms of experience and ceiling, right? Like they both have a chance to break out and, and be a really good goalie in the NHL. Neither of them have had a real shot to prove that yet. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't really get what the caps like about Lindgren that they didn't like enough about Zach or whatever. So that's my one qualm there, but I, I mean, I think he'll be a decent goalie. So I guess there's nothing I can really be upset about. Yeah. I echo every single word of that. I would have, just given Zach the backup spot and had him learn from a cup winning goaltender. You know, the thing is, is like I, I, Kemper, he's, he's a bandaid a little bit. And that on, that worries me for you guys, because should he go down or should he need some nights off? I don't think he's that goalie who's going to get, you know, 60 starts in a year. I think he's going to be a good, like 50 ish. Um, now you got Lingren and, Fucali, which, you know, obviously huge fans of Zach and I, I hope the best for him, but you're talking about a lot of inexperience in that. And that's the one thing that I would be a tiny bit worried about. Speaking of caps goaltenders, they got rid of Phoenix uh, Copley. He went on to the LA Kings. So if you're looking at, you know, depth chart, you got Kemper, Lindgren and Fucali as your threes going in. Yeah. Um, and I will let Jackson chime in on this one. Two former Blackhawks are headed to the nation's capital. We've got Eric Gustafson and Dylan Strom, both signing with the Washington Capitals. You three can duke it out. It's three former Blackhawks if you care if you count uh, Crab Borg. Um... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Crab- Nick knows what. <laughs> Nick knows what I'm talking Nick, about. Help. Explain. Nick, I, Nick, I need you. Um, <laughs> so the Caps signed uh, that uh, Finnish player. They're like first Finnish player. Borgstrom. Yeah, yeah, he signed Henrik, oh. Henrik Borgstrom, who, uh, you know, played at uh, DU with uh, Tarek and Troy Terry and all those guys and everything. And uh, um, I just sent Mac. Mac and I were like going back and forth about like stupid SpongeBob stuff. And I sent him the video of the episode where Ms. SpongeBob thinks Mr. Krabs is a robot and he's doing like the robot dance. And the YouTube video is just titled, titled Crab Borg. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I hate this. Wait, is it beep bop beep beep or beep bop beep bop boo? I hate all of you. 
Nick is literally crying. Like, oh can't my God. crab board, dude. You heard it here first. He's going to be the next best player on the Cavs. You heard it here first. And I absolutely <laughs> love that signing. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Low risk, high reward. Jay, you want to fill these guys in on what they're about to get? So, uh, sure. Uh, first of all, I like the deal for Gustafson. Nice little one year, 800K deal. Pretty solid. Um, for him, he is pretty much a bottom four offensive defenseman he's not going to really give you anything defensively even when he was like really good with the Blackhawks so decent like maybe power play defenseman as well put him nowhere near a goddamn penalty kill um Strom is a weird case because I didn't really know a ton about him initially when we traded Nick Schmaltz for Strom and he had that incredible run. Yeah, he's good, but he's going to be another guy that's not going to play defense really at all. He's a good offensive guy, good, solid center, probably good second or third line center uh, at this point, but can give you some value on the power play. And then Borgstrom is literally just a fourth line grinder or whatever. So he's a SpongeBob meme now, apparently. He is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you got to think with the Backstrom injury news coming out that that Strom deal has something to do with that. They need someone to fill in that uh, that second line role. So overall, Nick, Mac, if you had to grade the caps offseason, what would you give it? A, B, C, D, F, whatever. So like a B plus or something like that. I mean, I've seen I'm good seen, with a B, B plus. Seen Strom score some some seriously uh, impressive goals, so we know the potential is there. Another guy I think we forgot to put on this list here is Connor Brown that I'm really excited about. Um, that's from the Ottawa. big one for me. Um, I think that's a great sign. I'm really excited to see him play for the Caps. Um, but yeah, I think overall B B plus. Uh, it was one of the more exciting uh, free agencies in recent memory in terms of like signing uh, both a large quantity of players but also like all of them are like household names that like we all know if we're following mm. NHL pretty well, you know, it was weird. Cause it was like, you always root for chaos when you get near free agency. And then like the day comes and you're like, wait, like, why are you taking my players? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're like, wait, I didn't, I didn't want this. Oh, wait, right. no, I did. no, I'm not done playing with them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel you on the, the exciting off season as we are shifting into penguins news here. It was, uh, Definitely a anxiety induced two week period for me. A lot going on. Um, won't spend too much time on this. We got to wrap up soon. But um, the Penguins keep the the band going, man. It's it's kind of crazy. If you would have asked anybody in Penguins media, nobody thought that this was possible. We had Jesse Marshall on a couple months ago, where I literally asked him, like, are they keeping Malkin or Latang, and is there any chance they do both? And he said, there's no chance they keep both. And somehow. I don't even want to say Hexall did it. I'll say Crosby did it. Um, so they signed Chris Letang to a six-year, $36.6 million deal. Uh, they signed Ricard Raquel, which a lot of people thought he was gone. Uh, he signed a six-year, $30 million deal. And then the night before free agency, somehow Sidney Crosby works his way down to Florida and talks Gino off a cliff. He eventually signs a four-year, $24.5 million contract. Who could not have going seen anywhere. This? Dude, I thought Malkin was gone, like dead serious. I think everybody thought he was gone when he said he was testing mm -hmm. free agency. He's a little bit of a head case. Um, he, he gets very emotional. I think he felt a little disrespected by Hextall and uh, 
you know, FSG, but Sid talked him into it. Uh, there was rumors that Sid literally flew down to Florida and like talked to him and was like, dude, you're signing this fucking ticket and I don't care what happens. Like you have to stay. And here we are. So, you know, my thoughts on all of this, I'll make it in one sentence. The term sucks. Nobody's going to debate that, but you know, they've got about, I'd say two more years of really making any type of noise. And after that, we're going to suck. And you just kind of have to deal with the contracts at that point. So the way um, the salary cap era goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And here's what I'll also say. We just re-signed Rust, Raquel, Malkin, and Latang all for under $24 AAV, $24 million AAV. If you had told me that like before the pre the the offseason, I would have said you're on crack. So <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but good for good for Hextall. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's doing his job. Um, a couple little signings. They re-signed Pierre. Uh, Oliver Joseph, he was the main piece in that Phil Kessel trade to Arizona. Um, obviously, that led to some deals that we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, and then fresh off a long playoff run with the Lightning, the Penguins actually agreed to a three-year deal worth $8.25 million with Jan Ruda. I love this deal. This is um, a load of barnacles. <laughs> Classic Penguins deal right there. Classic Penguins player. I feel like that guy was just born to wear black and gold for y'all. I, I like that deal a lot. Um, you know, Hextall has made it clear that his job in previous teams and with this team too is to get him bigger. I think we've been pushed around far too much. I think I shared this graphic over the course of the playoffs, but there was like a metric of like teams with height and um, weight on an axis. And they would like judge the teams, like, you know, how, how big are they compared to the rest of the playoffs? And Every team's like in the middle or to the right, and the Penguins are just all the way to like by themselves on the left. We're like the smallest team ever. Um, and I think this helps. So obviously they signed some defensemen and then they trade some defensemen. John Marino goes to Jersey in exchange for Ty Smith and a 2023 third round pick. I like this deal personally. You save some cap. I think that the ceilings are about the same. And Ty Smith, he can play. I think he, he was kind of, I think mm-hmm. he was stranded in New Jersey. Definitely. I'm surprised to hear you say that though. I know he's got some upside, but I just, you know, I remember you being so high on Marino when he first came in. So his rookie, uh, his rookie year, he was really, really good. And he just kind of fell off like way. He just never got his offensive game back. And for how much they were paying him, I think he's on like a $6 million or $5 million deal for the next like four years. You got Ty Smith still on like a basically rookie deal. So I like that. This one, I don't know how to feel. Uh, Jeff Petrie and Ryan Poling come to Pittsburgh in exchange for Mike Matheson in a fourth-round pick. Very controversial trade by Hextall. Matheson arguably was our most consistent defenseman, maybe behind Latang last year. Uh, really good skater, only 28 years old, on a good contract. And then Petrie is a 34-year-old defenseman. He's had some injuries. I like Petrie's game. If The bubble year taught me everything. He'd destroyed us so i know what this guy's capable of i don't know a lot about ryan polling i know he was a former first round pick and that there's some potential there do i like the trade i don't know i know petrie's big and he can play physical so i'm all for it i guess yeah i think you guys were gonna have to take a bath on one of them and i think this might be it yeah i i'm also not convinced this is it i think there's something else coming because they have nine defensemen under contract and all of them like could very well be starters, like a lot of like bottom pair guys. Um, I'm just going to say it. And I know every Penguins fans thinking it, they got to go after JT Miller. I think they really need to go after him. And some defensemen 
I have a feeling it's going to be Oliver Joseph because he's the young up and coming stud. Maybe they deal him in a pick and Kapanen and, you know, a couple other guys the, over to Vancouver, but I would love to see them go after JT. I would. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, buddy. Um, before we get to the rumors, I think Mac has a word from our sponsor, Sharpbrick. Sure do. Before we move on, just wanted to remind you that this season, all of our picks are powered by SharpRank. SharpRank created the first ever cross-sport rating system, ranking betters from any sport on one leaderboard that anyone can dominate, even you. SharpRank is backed by some of the biggest names in the sports gambling world, such as BetMGM, Betway, and Sports Illustrated. Download the free app for iPhone and Android today. And that's just about it, right? We just got a couple of rumors here. And um... yeah, um, so Matt Kachuk probably going to be dealt this week. Uh, that's basically every hockey reporter out there. We'll see what happens. Go St. Louis. And then Kadri. Uh, the abs are still in the mix, but it's rumored that the Isles are the top team right now in contention. They just got to clear some cap. Wow. We'll, uh, we'll give some news on that. Of course, Metro, let's see what happens. But that's about so, all we so got. So he's going to sign there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, that's all I got, fellas. You guys got anything else? No, nope, that's pretty much yeah. it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, sure. thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate the love and support, as always. Uh, Going to go back on another break because, you know, that's just kind of what we need right now. So we'll see you all in a couple of weeks, maybe a month, hopefully. I don't know. Um, <laughs> until then, without further ado, class dismissed. <laughs>